Look at that muscular man. Look at that yeah, muscular yeah. man. Got, got, got them shreds going. Yeah, my nickname. I want my nickname to be Frankie Pipes. Well, you know, <laughs> I've learned that you can now give yourself your own nickname. Go, go right ahead, Frankie Pipes. Yeah, because well, <laughs> I've, I've actually had phlebotomists say to me, "Dude, man, those veins." Oh man, <laughs> uh, I'm jealous of the vascularity. I wish I had more of it. Yeah, well, small muscles, big veins. That's my. I, I have bones like a bird. Yeah. <laughs> Hollow bones. Mm-hmm. But you know, you've been to the gym. There's two ways to impress a guy. One is with size. The other is muscularity, vascularity, proportion. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, nobody's ever going to look at me and go, "Wow, oh, big guy." No. No. But they look at me and go, "Damn, what do you eat? Nothing." <laughs> you just don't eat nothing. Well, you know, Schwarzenegger said in his book, I remember this from decades ago, stay hungry. Mm -hmm. So I asked him his secret, stay hungry. Is that the encyclopedia? I don't know. I can't. It's from something he wrote. And it, it always. I have, I have the, uh, I just got the hard cop, the hardcover of the encyclopedia, the bodybuilding encyclopedia. That's. Yeah. I just, it made sense. It made sense to me. Uh, you know, and, and, and apparently one of my superpowers, by the way, is not eating. It's easier for me to not eat than to restrict calories. And my workout partner will tell you that I'm actually stronger after four days of fast. He goes, man, we've been working out all week. You are stronger today than you were four days ago when you had a meal. I think they've been feeding you to hold you back. <laughs> like my kryptonite. So <laughs> what I wanted to jump into with you, because I know we chat about it a little bit when we had the phone conversation was, uh, was you doing comedy, like full-time comedian, you said for the last like 30 years or something, 35 and a half years, full-time comedy and speaking now, but yeah, full-time, full-time comedy for 35 plus years. Wow. Wow. Do you have, I know do you have, it impresses even me sometimes, you know, it, making people laugh not that hard, getting paid for it. That's the trick. Right. <laughs> so do you have like a, do you have a, like a structure that you go, do you do like a, do you do like a, a like you go to mics and work on sets and like see what works and then like, like, or do you have like a written out thing and you have to stick to where that goes or do you just feel it out out there? What's your, what's your method? Well, when I started, uh, doing uh, the mics back in, you know, 1984, <laughs> um, you know, I, I had a set list uh -huh. and I would, and you only got five minutes, you know, like five to seven minutes if you're lucky. Mm -hmm. So I would, what I would do is I would take my set list. I would open with something I knew worked, close with something I knew worked, you know, a mm -hmm. nine or a 10 on a scale of one to 10 in mm -hmm. the middle of with the new stuff and whatever worked, I would continue to add to so that when I got an opportunity to do 30 minutes, Try to build it in five minute chunks. That way you can do a five, a 10, a 15, a 20, a 25, 30. And nowadays I don't, I, I wrote, if you think I'm suicidal, just walking around in everyday life, if I had to go to open mics, I'd blow my brains out. Um, <laughs> I would, yeah, I would not. Um, the, um, because I don't do comedy that often. I just did a fundraiser in Grand Junction, Colorado at a big uh, thousand seat theater for uh, wow. mental health NAMI in Grand Junction. Mm -hmm. And it was fun just to do comedy because I didn't have to make any points. I didn't have to save anybody. I didn't have to, you know, learning objectives. I just could be funny. What I do is I, I have an outline in my head 
how I'm going to start, how I'm going to finish, and what I'm going to do in the middle. And then I bring the house lights halfway up, and I tell the audience, look, this is comedy and conversation. If I'm going too fast to shell out, you're going too fast. If you didn't get a joke, raise your hand. I'll back up. We'll do it again. And <laughs> inevitably, somebody will raise their hand. You didn't get it? No. Okay, here's a setup. You got that? Okay, here comes the punchline. And, you know, and I do a lot of talking back and forth to the audience with an eye toward anybody here besides me ever had your chest cracked? Because I've had two aortic valve replacements, a double bypass, a heart attack, three stents. So when I ask that question, somebody raises a hand, I've got some place to go. Oh, really? What'd you have done? Oh, okay. Said the guy one night, how many bypasses did you have? He goes, I don't know. I was asleep. Killed. Um, so it's, it's, Sort of like improv, they call it audience work, you know. You're, you're my, my, mining for that gold. Yeah, and, and but I've got somewhere to go. I know I've got right. punch lines line. I ask pointed questions that lead me to material. Yeah. Sometimes it's random. I was doing a show where on a 115-day world cruise, I don't know if you've ever cruised, but 115 days world cruise, I did 10 days. The longer the cruise, the older the passenger. So at 110 days, we're talking old people and their parents. <laughs> Every night, same thing for dessert oxygen. So I asked, I've got several jokes about morticians. And I said, any morticians in the audience? Guy in the balcony raised his hand. I go, what's your name? He says, it's Musgrove, M-U-S-G-R-O-V-E. Uh -huh. I said, Mr. Musgrove, there are half a dozen mortuaries in Eugene by that name. He goes, those are mine. <laughs> so I said, well, what are you doing on 100? What's a mortician doing on a 115-day world cruise? He stands up and goes, inventory? <laughs> I mean, so occasionally He's I'm not trying to steal the show there. Yeah. And Kim, yeah. I've been telling that yeah. joke ever since he said it. Um, but there were, I didn't go to him with anything in mind. I just went in hoping something would come of it and it, it killed. I mean, it was hard to follow him. So, um, so yeah, mine is, um, I have an outline because I think you should know where you're going to start, know where you're going to finish. Today's mm -hmm. young comic sometimes. What drives me nuts about open mic or mics is that they get on stage and just wander around verbally hoping to trip over a punchline. Yeah, I've seen that many times. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I know there's a prejudice against set up punch and tag and whatever, but I'm a storyteller. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I've set up and set up in punchlines, but it's, it's, it's not, it's not one liners. I've got a friend who does nothing but one liners. And by the way, he won two comedy competitions in Philadelphia before the COVID at two of the biggest comedy clubs. He won doing essentially old jokes, one-liners he made his own. Because mm -hmm. laughs per minute is incredible. And, then, you know, and nobody does one-liners anymore. Right. So, you know, it's kind of a danger field, Stephen Wright, kind of a, you know, that kind of feel. Mitch Hedberg. My all-time favorite, Mitch Hedberg. So, yeah, um, I know yeah. somebody. I did not know Mitch. I know I've known several people who knew him. Yeah, I, I hung out with him. Um, I, a, a trouble soul. I, I never had the pleasure, but I feel like I feel like nowadays with podcasting, I would subscribe one hundred percent first day to his first episode of this podcast, and that would be like probably my favorite podcast. Like what what we missed out on, like Mitch passing away when he did was like right before podcasting was a thing. Yeah. I think he, he died in 05 and podcasting kind of started like getting the seeds planted in like 06. <laughs> yeah. I would have happily signed up. Um, right. I was a big fan. He was different. You know, there was one of those guys who 
I saw Adam Sandler decades ago in New York City in the in the improv at an open mic. Mm-hmm. And I'm sitting in the back of the room thinking, there's something here. You know, they, you, you just tell there was something special about him. Dude, he I love that. He wasn't splitting the atom. He's singing the Lunch Lady song and some other goofy crap. But it was just different. And he found his voice early. And he ran with it. Uh, the, was it there was a show um, about a comedian in New York, a big tall guy. Uh, Pete Holmes. Crashing. You're talking about yes. crashing. Mm-hmm. And the comedy club booker says, he goes, I, I did really well. And she goes, yeah, you did very well. But who are you? I mean, right. you're just a six-foot-tall, brown-haired, white guy. I mean, yeah, you did okay, but... Right. You know, where's your voice? What are you? Yeah. Yeah. Where's your, voice, your point of view? What's right. you know? Mm-hmm. And, and and I think a lot of comics don't understand that that's that's Mitch Hedberg. I mean, there was one Mitch Hedberg. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And either you loved him, or you know, it's like Brian or, Reagan. I know or you just was, didn't get him. Yeah. Yeah. I've got my my fraternity brother that I live with in college. He loves Brian Reagan. I love but, Brian Reagan. Yeah. Same. Yeah. But he brought his wife to the club. I was opening for him. He brought his wife to the club, but she didn't get any of. It. She's like, what's that? I don't get I don't, the big deal. I, I mean, I think he's hysterical. Dude, his his newest Netflix special on the rocks. I've watched it probably four times now. And one of those times I, I watched it, I went over my mom's house and put it on the TV to watch it with my mom and my sister. And I laughed the whole time. They didn't laugh really that much at all. And I was like, you guys just don't get this? What's wrong with you? Well, and by the same token... <clears throat> Uh, the um, the bald guy that wrote for Seinfeld, um, uh, Larry David. Yeah, his show. What was it? Um, Curb, Curb your enthusiasm. Yeah, the people kind of crazy about that show. I, mm-hmm. you know, it's just him whining a lot. I don't really. So, yeah. uh, dude, the, the guy I work with, I see him every day. He just quotes. So, he tells me about like his favorite episodes, his favorite segments uh, of Curb Your Enthusiasm, and he always talks about it in such glowing terms. And then I go to watch it, and I'm like. This is too boring. <laughs> like it's too the same yeah. with it's watching Seinfeld. I love Jerry Seinfeld as a comedian. His comedy is awesome and hilarious. But the show, to me, it's like uh, I don't want to wait through all the all the sabi da to get to the to get to the good stuff. And Although the, the masturbation episode where they were betting each other who got who could hold out the longest. I, I've heard of it. I've never seen. Oh it. man. If you have this one episode you watch, that's the one to watch. Okay. Yeah, it's just, yeah, it's priceless. And so, you know, I was in uh, Medora. 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 Yeah. Um, it's off the coast of Portugal. It's Portugal. Madeira. Madeira. And yeah, little island off the coast of Portugal. It's Portugal territory or something. Mm-hmm. I was in between cruise ships and staying in a hotel. I went outside at three in the afternoon. I look around. There's nobody. I mean, the, 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 it's like a ghost town. And I went back in the hotel. And I said to the desk clerk, where is everybody? He goes, well, it's three o'clock. They're all watching Seinfeld. The entire island? Like old yeah. syndicated Seinfeld? What year was it? when? That would have been uh, 2015, I think. Wow. Okay. They wow. were crazy about it. Uh, okay. I mean, I like him, but not that much. <laughs> And I worked with him at Charlie Goodnight years ago. Uh, and he was a workhorse. I probably told you off offline that he 
he did seven shows and did seven different 45s. Wow. Yeah. Amazing. Phenomenal. Yeah. It's a, there's a, that's a, um, an archetype. That's an outlier. That's like nobody else does stuff like, I mean, no, so few got, people can do that. I've got two 45s and that mm. includes, uh, my slideshow. Uh, and I do that because on, on uh, the cruise ships, oftentimes you're required to have two full 45s clean. So, mm. but it's, you know, it's a stretch. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's. It, I'm sure it's 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 a really difficult. And you know the, the 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 silence, the silence in in a set when you're like that silence is so uncomfortable. And that that silence for for me as like what in my training of wrestling, like when a crowd is silent waiting for the next thing to happen, and you hope that this next thing like nails them. But it's like. Uh, it's like it's funny. I, I started dating. I started dating a new girl, and she really wants to come see me do comedy. And and I'm like, I I'd be too embarrassed to bomb in front of you, so I won't let you come to any of my spots. Well, and when I met my current wife, mm -hmm. uh, we went out, and uh, I, I waited, I think, six or eight weeks before I invited her to the comedy club because I wanted to make sure, you know, that I had a good set and it was going to be it was going to go well. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, the um. The I don't do a lot of comedy anymore because well it doesn't, it doesn't pay near as well as the speaking. Right. Speaking pays yeah. by a factor of you know ten or twenty uh, what comedy mm -hmm. pays. Uh, wow. And I'm sixty four. I mean it's um, you know when I started comedy. Everybody in the club that was watching the show was twenty three, and so was I. <laughs> and now they're still twenty three or twenty four, and I'm sixty four. So I I'm very I'm very. Uh, inspired by you this is like this is kind of what like to have that that kind of longevity to kind of have that that kind of longevity where you can launch doing a comedy career and jump that into speaking gigs and be like yes this is what this is what i am now this is what i do now so yeah. uh, and my career started in co-ops and i did 2629 <laughs> nights in a row non-stop um, wow during the comedy boom, 75 to, I'm sorry, 85 to 95, roughly. And then, then did some radio because they were hiring comics to be DJs and radio in the mid nineties. Mm -hmm. And then after I got fired, club thing was disappearing. So I jumped to corporate comedy because I was clean and HR friendly mm -hmm. and I was making good money. I mean, crazy. I think my best year in corporate comedy was a couple hundred grand. I think I did 96 engagements that year. I was exhausted. Wow. But a ton of money for just running your mouth. And then right. the recession hit and the business dropped off 80%, lost everything in a chapter seven bankruptcy. That's when I learned what the barrel of my gun tasted like. Uh. So I reinvented myself from a club comic to a corporate comic, or I guess a club comic to a radio DJ to a corporate comic. And then when the recession was done and they started booking speakers again, they said, look, Frank, we love you. We can't pay you that kind of money because I was making five grand for 45 minutes of comedy. We can't pay you that much money for just comedy. You got to teach our audience something. Mm -hmm. And so I thought, well, I came close to killing myself. My family's got more nuts than a squirrel turd. Um, if I get some training in suicide prevention, hell, I could I could keynote on suicide prevention, not knowing what a um, that suicide is a growth industry and. Uh -huh that uh, a man who's not a clinician talking about his own struggles with mental health is 
powerful. I mean, you're being vulnerable on stage and it inspires other people to come out and share their stories. I mean, nobody talks about suicide much, but if you mention it, man, everybody's got a story. Now, Frank, did, did the, did the learning what the barrel of a gun tastes like happen before or after the open chest? The oh, no, I had my chest open in 95, uh, okay. valve job, got terribly depressed, by the way, because our heart surgery like that can, can kick yeah, off yeah. depression. Yeah. Cause I mean, I, I had, I had brain surgery, uh, in 10 years ago now where as soon as it was over, I had to like limit myself on a lot of things I could do. And I had a lot of depression, a lot of identity crisis. Like I was like, Oh, I used to be this and I used to do this and now I can't do any of those things. So I, I, I see the correlation in that, but I, I have, um, I, I don't think I've ever thought of during that time ever thought of like suicidal thoughts or anything like that that was never an option for me well but. and a lot of people it never is uh some people rough patch they consider it briefly uh, mm -hmm. mine is chronic it's always there it's like muzak mental muzak or dos running under windows it's always there somewhere it's always it's kobe mechanism it's elevator music yeah, you know, you ever get in an elevator and, you know, you really don't notice the music unless, A, you love the song, or B, you hate the song. Mm -hmm. uh, same with the store. You never really hear it until they, something comes on and you find yourself singing along. Mm -hmm. Do you like pina coladas? <laughs> uh, yeah. I was, I was walking through the store and uh, R. Kelly, I Believe I Can Fly came on. Oh, yeah. And I was I was with a friend and I started I started singing it and she was like, oh, good job. You're harmonizing. And I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just singing along with this. Well, that's what suicidality, chronic suicidal ideation, you know, is like is just always there, you know, always is always a, a Toby mechanism. Anything goes wrong. I can do this. I can do that. Or I could just kill myself. Right. Well, like, did you what did you think of uh, the Louis C.K. bit? What, from his 2017 special where he talked about suicide. Oh, you're worried about ISIS? You know, just kill yourself. <laughs> you don't have to worry about it anymore. And he was yeah. like, everybody who's here are all people who decided they didn't kill. They weren't going to kill themselves. And he had a, he had a, oh, the, all the bits were so spot on. He's just an expert, like correct. Acknowledged the scandal. Sure. But yeah. at, as a comic, Louis C.K., top five of all time. Yeah. Uh, again, troubled. Uh, yeah, you know, showing your penis to girls and the women in the green room, probably not a good idea. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know that if, if that ever works as a technique to pick somebody up. I, I have no idea. I've never tried that. <laughs> well, he's a, he's, a, he's a very flawed boy. A very flawed boy. Someone, so, dude, every one of us who gets into this pay attention to me business has had some form of damage and he was a damaged person who was uh was given an opportunity of, to have some power to damage people so uh i i i look at that from louis ck and i go well he never promised us he was anything but a effed up dude <laughs> well and you know, I mean, and he paid the price. He was canceled for a while or whatever. But mm -hmm. um, the oh, back to this, you know, doing comedy in the silences or doing wrestling in the silences. I've been doing stand up where I'm on stage, and I realize all of a sudden they're they're really quiet, and they're not 
I mean, it's like they're not even breathing. Mm-hmm. They're just waiting for whatever it is next mm-hmm. I have to say. And I'm like you, I'm thinking, oh, dear God, I hope this good is good. Because I've got them right there. I mean, they're hanging on my every word. Uh, the the transition from comedy to speaking, one of the most difficult parts was when I did stand up, I was getting I was getting a laugh every seven to nine seconds. Mm-hmm. And when you're speaking, there's long periods of silence. They're paying mm-hmm. attention, but mm-hmm. they're not reacting. And so right. it, it took a couple of years to get used to the fact. Is it, well, speaking isn't as punchy as comedy no. is. So uh, the bar is lower. I just throw in something every now and then. But that silence, because you're used to that constant feedback loop. Right. Yeah. yeah. So that was a little uncomfortable for a couple of years, but I got used to that because I, you know, once I began teaching people something and saving lives, I said, "Look, I got to get comfortable with this because you know lives are at stake." Yeah. So, well, it was maybe think of a. Do you remember the Mitch Hedberg bit when he talked about the microphone cord being like a like a kinked up hose, and he's like, "Here's when the laughs come," and he like let the kinked up hose go from the the microphone cord. Again. Um, I tell people, here's the deal. I believe my chronic suicidal ideation and my depression are simply the flip side of my comedic ability, imagination, creativity. Mm-hmm. I tell them, look, I can teach you to write stand-up. I can teach you to perform stand-up. What I cannot teach you to do is to process information the way my brain does, you know, the incoming information. Mm-hmm. I can't teach you to process it because my brain is just wired that way or miswired, depending on how you look at it. Oh. Um, my best students I don't know if I told you this, but I taught stand-up for mental health a couple of sessions. You have to have a diagnosis, a mental health diagnosis to get in the class. You have to have a mental health diagnosis to teach the class. So it's part peer counseling, part comedy class, because there's no normal people in there. So everybody's free to talk about, feel free to feel feels free to talk about whatever they're dealing yeah, with. It's kind of a support group who yep. are creatives. I, that sounds amazing to me. That's well, and I gotta tell you, they were the best students I ever had. Yeah, that's awesome. I, I don't know whether it was because they spent a great deal of time in self-reflection, you know, shining a flashlight into the dark corners of their psyches, or it was, as I believe, you know, that mental illness is a combination of disability and ability. But the stuff that came out of their mouths was the best writing, tightest writing of any students. I mean, when an average neurotypical student wrote me a joke, it was a page, like a notebook page. And I, I would redact about two thirds of it because none of that moved the narrative forward. Mm-hmm. These kids, young people mostly, I said, um, Tish, what do you got for me this week? She goes, well, my boyfriend says he wants to break up with me. Well, why does he want to break up with you? Well, he says he wants to see other people. So what did you say? I said, I'm bipolar. Give me a minute. <laughs> That's the way it came out of her mouth and her brain. No wow. editing necessary. She could put that right in her set. <laughs> and they were like that over and over and over. It just it came out ready for prime time. And I, I I have trouble believing it's a coincidence that they were all seriously mentally ill and they could do this thing. Right. Well, I think I'd hate to generalize and say that most comics are a bit mentally ill, but I but I mean it's 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 kind of a somewhat fair generalization because there is it's beyond fair actually i think uh there's a guy named mike mcdonald out of canada now deceased Mm -hmm. natural causes but he used to say there's two kinds of comics diagnosed and undiagnosed and 
I, I, I think comics and creatives, mm -hmm. writers, um, songwriters, you know, I, I think we have a higher rate of suicide than non entertainers or right. creatives. And I think it may be because of that, you know, that, that mental illness is a combination of disability and ability. We, we, we are, we are the dentists and toll booth collectors of entertainment. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and, and I've got a, uh, you know, I've got a, a podcast called the suicide prevention punchline because so many comics, you know, I mean, Robin Williams, of course, being the most, um, I was a popular example, the most right. uh, prominent example, mm -hmm. but Richard Jenny, mm -hmm. very talented. I mean, pound for pound, one of the best comics fast and laughs came and had a great career. He was getting ready to do another Showtime special. Platypus man was a cable special that was like number one in, in the history of the world. And he was in the Ace Ventura movie. I mean, millions of dollars in the bank, but shot himself in the chest. And because oftentimes depression is not situational. You know, right. I've, I've been most depressed some of the best times in my life. Mm -hmm. It's just like a wheel with a flat spot. It just comes around every so often. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's difficult to not, <clears throat> I think, I think maybe it's, it's for, for anybody who wants to live in some side, some type of spotlight, it's difficult to, when you get exactly what it is that you want to not feel like, Oh, do I deserve this? And, and it, it, it's that imposter syndrome that we get. And <clears throat> I mean, well, I must tell you, I, I, I'd never even heard of imposter syndrome until I went on this guy's podcast. Um, it's called uh, the podcast network is the mental health news radio network. We've got 80 some podcasts all on mental health, several on the imposter syndrome. And a guy said, yeah, come on my podcast. Okay. So I go on the podcast. Well, describe imposter syndrome for me. Well, Frank said, I got my PhD and I was thrilled. And the next morning I woke up and thought, oh my God, I don't deserve a PhD. Somebody's going to figure out that I do not deserve a PhD and they're going to take it away from me. Mm -hmm. I go, that's imposter syndrome. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm afraid somebody's going to figure out that I'm not as great or whatever as, you know, the letters after my name imply. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, dude, I got, I just had a revelation of my own. I have, I believe reverse imposter syndrome. Mm -hmm. I know for a fact that I am fabulous. And I'm just waiting for somebody to figure <laughs> somebody else to figure that out. I mean, I'm famous, just nobody knows it yet. <laughs> yeah, I, I I feel that. And I've got I've been that way since I was a kid. I knew I was different somehow or other. I just waiting for somebody to figure that out. Mm -hmm. And I, com comedy was the uh, obvious. I mean, comedy was what I believe I was born to do. So we got I got that uh, imposter syndrome in the form of body dysmorphic disorder. Oh, I've, I've actually known there was a guy in my gym who's huge and he's mm -hmm. got, he's got that body dysmorphic thing going. Uh -huh. Yeah. And I'm, I'm going to dude, you are an amazing specimen, but it's kind of like anorexia. You know, anorexia is looking in the mirror and see fat. Mm -hmm. Can't see what I can see. Yeah. Um, so I mean, yeah, I, 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 I just, I did a, I, I ran into a, one of my really good friends from middle school and he was like, bro, how are you in such good shape? Like no one else from our graduating class is in as good a shape as you're in. What's your secret? And I'm and in the back of my head, I was like body dysmorphia. Uh, but 
but I was like, I was like, weights, dude. You just gotta hit, keep hitting them weights. Wait, weight room, man. Weight room every day. And I'm really like, it's because I don't think I look as good as you think I look. Yeah. Or, uh, it's 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 a bit of that, a bit of like, a bit of like in in the business I'm in in wrestling. It's about like the presentation of your body and and being yeah. shirtless in front of groups of strangers every weekend. So it's like, all right, well, it's, it's a little bit of the, a little bit of like, I had to suffer through like the eating disorders and the, and the uh, bulimia, I guess you could call it. But, <clears throat> but it, all that journey leads me to what is my evolving. <laughs> and and well, trying. I, I did a, I think I told you I did a, my first bodybuilding contest 2018 because it's on my bucket list. And I mm-hmm. waited until I was that older than 60 because I figured most of the other guys had given up and they have. Mm-hmm. Um, I love nothing better than sending a muscle pic back to all my high my the Facebook group of my high school graduating class. Right. Um, they're like, best compliment is nice Photoshop. It's not Photoshop. <laughs> um, but standing on stage, essentially in my underwear. Mm-hmm. Only for 60 seconds, not like a whole wrestling match. Right, right. Just up there, you have five poses or six poses to music. Mm -hmm. And I mean, in front of, it's like a bad dream. You're standing out in public and basically briefs on Mm -hmm. stage in front of all these people. And I opened up for Randy Travis two nights in a row at an Mm -hmm. amphitheater in Michigan. 5,000 people per night. Wow. I'm walking out on stage. I don't have a band. I don't have lyrics. I don't have music. I got a microphone. And there are 5,000 people. I 10,000 eyeballs waiting. Mm-hmm. It didn't even break a sweat. But 300 people at the Lane Event Center standing on stage in my underwear going, dun, dun, dun. <laughs> terrified. Do, do you choose the same song every time? What song do you choose? Well, I, I decided, because most of the guys choose some rock anthem, you know, Start Me Up or, you know. Uh, so, sharp dressed man or something. Yes. Yeah. So I I went. I got Dion and the Belmonts. Uh, it's uh, I'm the kind of guy who likes to run around. Okay. okay. In my place, move downtown. Um, and nobody else had done anything similar in terms of genre or you know uh, years. Uh-huh. And the first eight beats are there's no vocals. So I come out. <laughs> I said start it before start it when I take my first step the guy starts it and i come out and i'm snapping my fingers and swinging my hips to those eight beats because everybody else is very serious you know they're well yeah i mean it's diff it's difficult man i mean in in any kind of like that's a very vulnerable thing any kind of very vulnerable thing sometimes it's tough to get people to just kind of like lighten up yeah kind of like like they're in their feels too hard well, and and I, I got, I mean, the, and the crowd because of the music, because I'm swiveling my hips, because I'm I'm smiling. I mean, it went really well. I mean, you can, it was it was like an open mic for bodybuilding. I know now what I, because I'm, my frame is somewhat small. Mm-hmm. I don't need to be out like this, you know, with a like I've got the underarm rash. Um, I realized from a, a posing coach. He goes, look, Frank, you know, I don't want you spread out because, you know, it's like a big bird, like an osprey or something. Um, You know, pull it in tight. Pull your arms in tight. Put your feet together. Push your heels together. Keep your legs 
so that you know you you shrunk yourself down and compacted yourself because mm -hmm. otherwise if you got a lot of if you got a lot of you know air between your limbs you're really gonna look you know like mm -hmm. is, is he really bodybuilding uh <laughs> should he be bigger uh, so yeah there there is a technique to um i'm standing next to a woman in posing class and she's six two and just massive right and my, my posing goes goes frank you can look bigger and i go not standing next to her i can't <laughs> we look like a before and after <sighs> yeah well and the bodybuilding for me i tell people when i'm talking about mental health and self-care plans and so forth i think you should have a hobby or avocation that has nothing to do with what it is you do for a living goals bro it's just goals i think it's just yeah it allows you to achieve in another mm -hmm. area, see yeah. the results, you know, be proud of your accomplishments. It has nothing to do with how you make your living. Right. Okay. I tell people about the gym. The, the beauty of the gym is this. In a world where so much is uncertain, you go to the gym, a 25-pound dumbbell always weighs 25 pounds. I mean, the equipment may have different names on it, but <laughs> roughly the same. Elliptical runner here is roughly the same as an elliptical runner there. Right. regardless of brand so there's something there's a constancy in the gym that i that really appeals to me i i go to a, i go to a hole uh, like a hole in the wall gym where it was like it it was opened in 1985 and they still have all the same all the same stuff from 1985 and everything works just as good if not better than all the stuff at the big chain gyms yeah and well, i prefer that <laughs> Yeah, we, uh, when, I, we, when we were on the road, my wife and I doing comedy. We were the June and Ward Cleaver of comedy. We went to bed early as soon as I got home from the show. We, we ate good food. We worked out every day. And somewhere in Virginia, there was actually a place called Mom's House of Iron. Mm. And it was. I mean, there wasn't anything fancy. It was plates and bars and dumbbells and Smith machines. You know, and I mean, just the basics of, you know, no, nothing fancy, no Nautilus, no, you know, no Cybex, <laughs> just, you know, iron. And, and when it comes down to it, you know this, it's all about time under tension. It doesn't mm -hmm. matter what machine or whatever you're on. It's just your muscles at time under tension. So mm -hmm. however you do that, you know, whatever you're picking up or moving around, yeah. So yeah, it's a lot of that stuff in the gym is, you know, it's I actually changed gyms because one of them, uh, um, planet fitness was just, it was, you know, they, they had the, the selection of weights wasn't that big. And, and I mean, and the, and you can't grunt and groan, right? Yeah. You can't it's, carry around a jug of water, you know, if yeah. you drop a weight, they turn on the lunk alarm, which is a purple flashing light. Right. Which is the opposite of judgment free, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> I want iron and rust and sweat. Right. And some grunts. I don't I don't mind hearing a guy slap another guy on his back and he's like, come on, get that spot. Like I, I need that. That's that's I don't mind that at all. Yeah. Like, I feel like these are these are people who also have goals and have uh things that they're accomplishing. I think I I bond more with with fellow meatheads than than like most people who just come up to me and they're like, oh, well, like, oh, you're in good shape. How can I be in good shape? I'm like, do something. Do something. It's not that difficult. Right.
Well, and again, um, when I realized, when I discovered intermittent fasting, I thought, man, no supplements, no pills, no powders, and you actually save money on food because you're not eating. <laughs> and and I, I was worried in the beginning because um, because when I eat carbohydrates, it's a great combination with keto because there's no carbs to make your blood sugar go up and down. And I was afraid I was going to be hangry all the time or weak. And, you know, my, my, I told you, my workout partner said to me, they've been feeding you to hold you back, man. I'm telling you, there's something well, because, you know, you're in your body after 14 hours begins all the all the food is gone. All the glycol is gone from your liver. Mm -hmm. So you got to burn fat. So I'm at 96, 97, 98 hours. So I've been, uh, 84 hours I've been burning fat. Mm -hmm. I just got down to 9% body fat last week, down to single digits again, as I'm rolling up to the contest. And uh, You said that's, that's later this month? Uh, July 24th. Oh, next month. Okay. Yeah, and it's true natural. They polygraph you beforehand and urine test you when you're done. So, I mean... You could you you could lie. They they like lie detector test you. Yep. Or are you on any? Yeah, and they run down a list of and I've got the two medications I take for my depression are on the ban list. Oh. And shoot. I said to my my uh, posing trainer, I go, look, dude, do I need to, you don't want me to come off these for ninety days before mm -hmm. the contest because I'm liable to kill somebody when I get there. You're second. No, the hell I'm not. <laughs> He goes, no, no, you bring the prescription bottles in, Frank. We'll clear it. Said, okay. Oh, good. Good. Yeah, good. oh God. Yeah, you don't want me off my antidepressants and whatever else. Man, I have to get first. I killed the other three guys. <laughs> <laughs> well, they forfeit. They forfeit. I don't know where they went. <laughs> they just didn't show up. Yeah. He went to pieces, I'm saying. <laughs> Peace be with you. And those pieces and those pieces. All of them be with you. But <laughs> yeah, so you know, it's um it's part of my self-care plan. It's uh I like to see the achievement, you know, you can see the results. So what's what's the the what's speaking in the pandemic been like for you? Well, pretty much it all shut down March of my last gig was March of 2020. Mm -hmm. I did a average of virtual one a month. Mm -hmm. Some at full fee, some at half fee, just you know, just to keep the lights on. Mm -hmm. And then a friend of mine said, "Look, Frank, I don't know when the whole um, pandemic thing, no live events, is going to end. And you, you do TEDx coaching, and you can do that from your living room. Mm -hmm. You need to shift all your marketing over there." So I did. I shifted all my marketing and TEDx coaching. I had about five clients when it started. I've got twenty six now. We an hour a week on Zoom and work over their, you know, applications to get them a TEDx talk and then work on speaker marketing. Oh, cool. However, uh, March 3rd, I got a call in February from a speaker's bureau. They said, we're having trouble getting somebody to fly into Florida on March 3rd because Florida does not have a mandatory mass, you know, mass mandate. Right. It's frank. Look, it's, 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 it's the middle of a pandemic. It's a state with no mass mandate. Would you go to Florida and do the gig? I go, dude, I'm suicidal. What do I care? <laughs> I was the only guy that would take the gig. <laughs> was that was that the was that the sell for you? Did you say that in response? Yeah, I, that's how I got the gig. And then when yeah. I got down there to talk, when I got up to do my keynote, I go, "You guys probably wonder why I'm here." I go, well, "Here's the deal. Uh, you read my bio. 
they call me. So would you fly to Florida, you know, in the middle of a pandemic without a mask mandate? And I can, I'm suicidal. What do I care? <laughs> so I did one and then I did a second one in March live. that was rescheduled from the previous year. Mm-hmm. April I had um, a couple showcase slash networking kind of gigs and two virtual. Mm-hmm. In May, I had three live and two virtual. May was the best month I've had since March of 2020. My my gross on those three gigs and two virtuals was close to 20 grand. And that's the kind of money I can make when things are, you know. Yeah. When things are cranking. Um, June, a gig, but July, August, always very slow. September, I got two booked and one on hold, uh, live and two virtuals so far. So I think live speaking has begun to come back. That's awesome, dude. Like, I I just came back to wrestling, dude. I just came back to, re- like, li- like, like uh, full audience in front of in front of a crowd i'm i'm digging that and i'm you know i got i got a show coming up this weekend or in front of people in front of a big audience i'm excited about doing that again um well are you the good guy or the bad guy i'm i'm bad i'm all the way all the time gotta be the bad guy so much better so much more fun so much more interesting yeah well i mean in in my mind i know i know that I'm more in control and uh, more more of the steering, navigating the pace of the match if I'm the bad guy because I have more experience under that pressure than whoever I'm in there with and I can bend, I can mold them to being better in the ring so that then later on they can be the bad guy. So do you have a character name? Um, I'm Corey Castle. That's my, it's my stage name. My real name's James, but I go, I've been going by Corey Castle since, uh, 2002. Okay. Well, that's a good so, name. I mean, you know, good hard C C and K sounds. Yeah. It's a it's alliteration. Gets everybody every time. I'm, I'm, I'm a big lover of alliteration. <laughs> the, the, the main reason for it. Um, I, I picked it back then. I, I was, I was still in high school. The uh, the the one of my favorite movies at the time was uh, it's called it's called Zoolander. Who's uh, Ben Stiller? Yeah, oh yeah. Where he's the male model. Yeah, I I wanted my character to be the stupid male model in pro wrestling, and like just like always always be dumb and just like screw things up and play the goofball. And I wanted my initials to be CK, like Calvin Klein. So I could put Calvin Klein on the side of my gear, on like my leg, and uh, and I picked Castle from from the Punisher, and I thought Corey sounded like the best C name to go with the if I changed the the Castle to a K. Yeah, then, good hard good hard sound. So it sounded the best, and uh, it's worked for me for business. You know, Mister T isn't Mister T's real name. <laughs> oh, thanks for clearing that up. <laughs> Did you ever see? Do you watch Key and Peele when that was on? Uh, some, not a lot. They did a Mr. T, a Mr. T sketch where they was like, "My name's not Mr. T. I made it up for money purposes." <laughs> well, my mom, because I was going to change my name to something funny. Mm-hmm. Said, um, son, if I come to the comedy club and somebody else's name's on the marquee, I'm writing you out of my will. Mm. Okay. I'll be Frank King then. 
<laughs> well, I, I don't. I think my uh, I think my my parents uh, have learned to take it less personally. Well, yeah, because I mean, you took their work and changed it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, also, I mean, if I'm a bad guy, <laughs> if I'm a bad guy, I'm not representing. I'm not representing them very well. No. I'm doing, if I'm doing despicable things in front yeah. of in front of a bunch of people who they don't want to be represented in front of those people, like the uh, person who does despicable things, or uh, or 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 even like if I were to go out there and get my ass kicked, then they'd be like, "Oh, this this guy, he's representing That's embarrassing. us." Embarrassing. He's embarrassing. He's just got his ass kicked out there. That's your that, son. You got his ass kicked? Really? That's that's not my boy. The other guy. He's my. <laughs> there was so, a movie. I saw a movie about professional wrestling. It was a. It was fictional. It was a woman from a little town somewhere who went to, I think, uh, Vegas or some, you know, entertainment capital, and wanted to wrestle professionally. Wrestling was a big thing in her little town. And her brother wanted to do it too, but he didn't have the chops. I'm trying to think. Mm. And um, the um, she was she was British. Uh, yeah. Yes. Um, it's called fighting fighting with my family. Yes. Uh, and the, the 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 manager of the wrestling school was um, the from the Wedding Crashers. Um, Vince Vaughn. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, from a British, it was a British family, a British wrestling family. Matter of fact, they they all wrestled. I think it was kind of a you know that was their thing. They were entertainers, wrestling yeah. entertainers. Yeah, yeah. I re- remember the movie coming out. I've never seen it, but I know it's based on it's based on Paige or uh, one one woman who wrestles in the WWE. Or she doesn't wrestle anymore. She's her she got she had to retire because you hurt her neck too bad, but she used to wrestle in the WWE. Yeah. And then in the, in the end, the young woman makes it and, you know, and anyway, I was surprised, pleasantly surprised that I enjoyed the movie. I'm probably on a plane somewhere and I'd seen everything else that the airline had to offer. So, so in the fasting, are you allowed, are you allowed like peanuts and stuff? Can you do like little snacks and s- stuff? No, I can do chicken bouillon. Okay. And add uh, MCT oil. Me and uh-huh. Jane Douglas arrived. Uh, a little heavy cream. And that's what I have for my meals to take the edge off. Because it's salty. It's hot. It's got a little bit of MCT oil. So there's a little bit of fat in it. Mm-hmm. And I can have coffee with either butter. which sounds horrible, but it's actually pretty good. Keto friendly. Yeah. Butter or MCT oil or heavy cream in it. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah. And it's amazing. I mean, like I said, I'm at 98 hours. 9845 and I'm amazed I'm still still able to sit up. Yeah, I mean, I'd imagine that you'd be super tired and worn out, but then but then you're going to switch that back on and and go hit the weights pretty hard, right? Yeah, I'm I get done I'm headed to the gym. Um and you know why? In part because because after 4 days I went to the bathroom and I I looked in the mirror and I mean I try to drink a gallon of water a day. Mm-hmm. So I'm hydrated. So my veins are like, <laughs> son of a gun. Look at that. Maybe I won't eat ever again. <laughs> <laughs> so in, in your life, um, not, not in entertainment, not necessarily. It doesn't have to be somebody famous, somebody I know or not. 
just like who has been your like biggest inspirations? Like the most like, ah, that's who I want to be like. That's who I want to not be like. I want to just take some of that and I want to take the opposite of that. And like what, what, what kind of gathered up into making you inspired to be who you are? Well, I, I, back in the day, I used to watch the Tonight Show back in college and wondered to myself if anybody else in the dorm was watching the Tonight Show thinking I want to be on there. Mm -hmm. Early, the comics from back then, David Brenner, Michael Keaton was an early idol because he went from comic to actor. Ray Combs, who ended up killing himself, went from warm-up comic, which is one of the things still on my bucket list, warming up sitcoms, mm -hmm. went from warm-up comic to the Tonight Show to hosting... Uh, let's make a Dion uh, family feud. Mm -hmm. Always want to be a game show host. So that was, you know, I, I figured except for hanging himself, uh, that was the career path I wanted to take. Mm -hmm. Um, in terms of inspiration, my mother, if somebody says they're suicidal, but they're not going to kill themselves. My question to them is always, well, tell me why not? So if you ask me why, why aren't you going to kill yourself? Well, one of the reasons is my mother, um, desperately wanted a family children and she carried two to term that didn't make it and she found the courage to try a third time and i was born and a fourth time my sister was born mm -hmm. i don't know where you find that kind of courage after carrying two nine months to term and they don't make it yeah yeah so the reason i'm one of the reasons i'm still here is because i i feel like she was so brave and worked so hard to bring me here i've got to be at least as brave and work at least as hard to stay in her honor that's that's a that's a good respectable reason. Yeah. Well, and the backstory, which I rarely tell, although I'm going to tell it in a TEDx one day, is both my mother and father were gay. Okay. It was in the 1940s, late 30s, early 40s, in high school together, crazy about one another, both smart and funny, both desperately wanted a family. And you know, it was the late 30s, early 40s in North Carolina. Nobody came out of the closet. Right. So they got married. And they were going to adopt, but there weren't many infants available. So they decided, well, what the hell? Let's just make it go. Build. Yeah. And, and, and again, carried two to term. I had somebody say to me one day, uh, you know, I don't think lesbians are qualified to birth and raise children. And I said, you need to back the fuck up out of my range. Mm -hmm. <laughs> because, uh, you know, my mother. Uh, uh, yeah. Real quick, interrupt. My mother is also a lesbian. So oh. we've got that in common. <laughs> well, hello. <laughs> and my sis my sister is also a mother and a lesbian. Yeah. So whoever that person is can F right off. Yeah, I'm sorry. And I dropped the F bomb. I apologize. Um, <laughs> oh, you don't have to apologize. There's no limits here, man. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, and one of these days I'm going to do a TEDx talk called Gay in My DNA. Mm -hmm. Because there is some evidence that if you have two parents that are gay, that you have a better than 50-50 chance of being born gay. Mm -hmm. I think the joke I wrote was, I think I'm I'm about 1% gay. I mean, I like tasteful decorations. I love Judy Garland. I have an amazing ability to accessorize. Uh -huh. And I think I'm about 1% gay. The trick for me is never get 99% drunk. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I one of one of these days I'm gonna do a TEDx on that. I've been I've been doing this bit, but I just do it when I'm talking. I don't I, I've never done it on stage, but I I say some of my closest friends will always mention to me how they think that I'm about seventy five percent gay because uh, 
growing up, my older brother, my older sister, my mom, and uh, there's me and my little sister. So me and my little sister are the only the only straight ones. Uh, and my my I'm very I've been taught to just kind of love people and accept people, and <laughs> and and I don't. I, I'm very, I'm very sensitive, very sensitive boy. I'll, I'll watch chick flicks by myself and I'll like cry and stuff. That's just all stuff. I, I do very sensitive boy things. I'm very secure in my masculinity because I know I'm, I'm fucking Corey Castle. Like I, I, <laughs> I, I can, like, I've been doing this wrestling thing for a really long time. So I'm somebody who can kick your ass. But I'm also I'm also somebody who's got very very in touch very sensitive in touch feelings about like loving and accepting everybody. So calling me seventy five because dude I had to I had to I had to kiss a guy for a um, for a movie audition once for a movie role they it was a audition for a gay part but like for sure I wanted to play it and they and they were like oh well. Uh, it, it involves you kissing this guy for the audition. And I did that <clears throat> and I automatically hated it. I just was like, Bleh, this is weird. And the, the, the facial stuff on like his beard on my face was just, it, it was just like, ah, like, so there's 25% of me. That's like, get all that away from me. <laughs> And I just like really don't want any involved involvement with anyone's penis. I don't want it on me. Like you can keep that to yourself. I I'm cool. I mean, I appreciate that you have one and you want to use it on other people. Go for it. But me don't. Great story. <laughs> Seventy five percent gay. Yeah. Sorry, you got that sensitive guy thing going. Mm -hmm. Yes, and that's that's also why I wanted to um, have this this platform. I want to have this voice. This way, what did you, what did I say? This number of this episode is two 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 hundred and forty three episodes of like the opportunity for me to grow from something I wasn't to something I'll become, and yeah. I I want that to go like. If you were to go back to episode one and listen to that, that's an entirely different person. Oh, sure. And, and each one of those episodes, I grow a little bit. So it's not just called Evolving with Corey Castle because it's a show I host. It's because, like, if you take this journey with me, and once again, if, the, if this is your first time ever listening to the show, if you're listening right now, and you want to you see the journey from the start until now, awesome. I appreciate the... the I have to say all the time how much I appreciate the currency of your effort in listening to this or watching this or, or you, Frank, giving me your effort and your attention. It's, it's so much easier to do anything else but give all your full attention to something. Oh, yeah. So, so much gratitude. So, so, so much gratitude. Yeah, and if you can find somebody who wants to sit through 242 episodes, I'd like to meet them. <laughs> well, I, I've been saying, uh, do you remember a couple, I don't know if you might, might not remember this, a couple years ago, they hired a couple guys from at, for SNL, and then somebody went through an old episode, episode of this one guy's podcast, and then they fired him from SNL because he said some things that they didn't like on the podcast. Yes, I recall that. 
Mm-hmm. And it was, uh, and I was like, I remember tweeting as that happened. I was like, if anybody wants to go back and listen to every episode of my podcast to skim through to find something to fire me from, like, uh, cool, because you'll have sat through all these episodes and maybe you'll learn some cool stuff. <laughs> but yeah, it, it's, re- it's really like I the same thing with the, the speaking engagements. It's like, what are you teaching these people? What service are you offering to these people? That's kind of what I hope what this podcast winds up being. It's like I well, not being. That's what I hope it is. I hope that somebody can like escape from whatever yuck they're going through and just kind of listen to the life lessons that I'm learning and evolving through. Yeah. Through I mean, they, having, there are learning objectives. There are things to learn by listening to the podcast. Mm-hmm. And so you're hoping that people are picking up on that, you know, that when they leave, they're a little better than when they arrived. Hope so. <laughs> so yeah. I, I have just a couple more things and then, Bye. and then I'll, and then I'll send you off into the sunset, right off into the sunset. Okay. Hot dog, hot dog, and a handshake. All right. So yeah, keep, keep your hot dog away from me. I'm just saying. <laughs> Only seventy five percent hot dog. <laughs> so uh, I do. I do this segment on the show. I, I like to call it audio time travel. Right. So okay. Before I get into that, I just want to say how important it is. Uh, I'm going to tell tell this little tiny tale to make you understand. When I first started doing the show, my mom had told me the story about how she had saved these voicemails onto a disc where she can listen back to them. The voicemails were left from her mother and from her best friend. And she Uh, said, I want to have, I want to have these so that, you know how, like when somebody dies, you forget what their voice sounds like. She said that exactly. That's what she said. And I said, I don't want that. I don't, I want to, I want to have an opportunity where, Stuff's on the record. Like who I actually am is on the record. So when I'm not here, you can go back and listen and hear what my evolving was from episode, episode, I don't think episode one is ever, ever posted anywhere, but episode two (laughs) up until, up until wherever it winds up going to, because I don't plan on ever stopping doing it. So on this 243rd rotation of the podcast on the record, I want to make sure I let you, Frank King, know how how inspired I am by you and oh, how, grateful, you. how grateful I am for your time. And I want to make sure you know how pleased I'd be to be a resource to you in any way, even if it's just judgment-free conversation. I know you said you, you, you still struggle with some suicidal stuff. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Call me anytime. I'm here for you. I'm here for you. Anybody else listening, I'm not a hard person to get a hold of. If you just need a, a chat, if you need a friend, I'll be that friend. I'm not that popular. Not enough people, not enough people are beating my door down that I don't have the time. Yes. You are caller number seven. What? <laughs> so, so audio time travel. Audio yeah. time travel. So in let's say 20 years. So in 2041. Someone stumbles across this recording who truly cares about you. So uh, your wife, your kids, somebody stumbles across this and wants to hear the, like, the, the, the deepest, sincere message from 2021 that's hitting right inside the ears of the 2041 uh, person who loves you. And who knows where we'll be at that point? 
So this would just be an extension of that for this time capsule. So audio time travel, whatever you're saying now, is a message to help them evolve into a better version of themselves in the year 2021. So what I would say to them is, what you're listening to, yes, he is a wrestler. (laughs) Yes. Yes, I have no business being on his podcast, but here's the deal, family. It was part of a plea bargain. It was this or jail. What would you do? This is a little, little, little bird on me. Yeah. Sorry, man. I just, uh, no, no, that's fine. No, I, I often think when somebody posts on Facebook, you know, what would you tell your 18-year-old self? Well... I would tell my 18-year-old self, here's some words, keywords you need to look for in the future. And when you see them, you buy stock. Google, Microsoft, you know. You know that's what I, I, I hope, honestly, I'd hope that no matter, no matter what anyone does in the future, I always hope that they find themselves on the ground level of something that's going to be humongous. That's what I feel like. When I make these connections with people like you, I go, this is still just the ground level of what our relationship might wind up being. That's why yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm excited about what the future is. This is just the, this is just the first step in the long journey. So look out for, look out for those ground levels on things. That's what, if, if your loved ones are listening to this message, I want to make sure I'm letting oh, them see. know. Okay. Yeah. I'm letting them know, look out for the ground levels to get in on things or, yeah. or be your own ground level on things. Well, if you're listening, my relatives in the future, just know that um, if you're feeling a little crazy, it comes with the territory. As I mentioned earlier, in our family, going back generations, more nuts than a squirrel turd. So it's not it's not, it's not unique to you. It comes with the territory. It's in the genetics. It is in the genetics. I've got one cousin who dodged the bullet on cholesterol and mental illness, and everybody in the family hates him. <laughs> So, so the hypothetically, the way I end every show is I'll say, hypothetically, I've gifted you this show. So from now on, this is Evolving with Frank King, your first episode, the pilot episode of your podcast in a very Jerry Springer's final thought in, in, in a, around a minute, just kind of tell, tell everybody like the, the, the best takeaways, the best uh, the best messages that can help them evolve into a better version of themselves tomorrow as they are than they are today. Okay. Well, remember this. Anybody can stop a suicide is the most preventable cause of death on the planet. You do not have to be a clinician to stop a suicide. You can make a difference. You can save a life and you can do it by doing something as simple as Corey and I are doing here. And that is starting a conversation. You just have to be willing to become comfortable in the uncomfortable and start that conversation. And then just to keep it silly, if you could do your best impression of Alf and say, hey, Willie. Alf? God, man. I'm old, but Alf? I have, I, I, I mean, I know the show. I have no idea <laughs> what his voice sounded like. It's just something I started doing a while ago and I, I, I feel like it throws enough people through like these weird loops and some people get it right away. And some people go, uh, can I not do that? Or like, yeah. there's some other way where we're like, uh, okay. I, what? and what, what, what is my line? What am I supposed to say? Hey, hey Willie. Hey, Willie. Okay. 
Here's my impression of Alf as Jay Leno. Okay. Hey, uh, Willie. <laughs> Very fun. Thank you. Uh, is there, before, before I get you out of here, I want to give you the opportunity since I hypothetically gave you the show. Is there anything, I, I didn't give you the opportunity, which I, which is usually in my list of a few things before the hot dog and the handshake is I'll give you the opportunity to ask me anything you want to ask me or say anything you want to say to me. You look like, um, the, there's an actor I just saw in a movie on Netflix. Um, Oh man, he's British, but he does an American dialect. Oh, played an Irish hitman. Is anyway, I'll, it'll come to me. <laughs> well, I I will always accept the compliments that compare me to uh, handsome, funny actors. I will accept them all day, every day. Yeah. So, and in, in the movie, he had the you know the the uh, goatee Fu Manchu thing going. Mm -hmm. So, do you always have the facial hair? Yeah, yeah. Part of your character. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just sort of like when I when I got old enough to grow it, I just never wanted to not have it. Oh well, I would have to have testosterone shots to grow that much facial hair. So <laughs> yeah, I, I can't get I can't get anything on my cheeks. I'm still working on that. Oh, I really? mean, yeah, I'm I'm in my late thirties now, and I can't get anything. Maybe a little Native American going there. What's that? They did. Maybe a little Native American because they tend to be, you know, cheeks tend to be clean. Hmm. I'll, I'll accept that. Just I mean, well, I, I absolutely, uh, my, my father said that there was Native American on his side, but then my, my, uh, I got my ancestry through 23andMe and there was none. None. No. So I think there might be 0.1% and I'll, I'll accept that. <laughs> yeah. I can do the old comedy club joke. Hey, have you got any Irish in you? Would you like some? Yeah. <laughs> so that's a, a point, point 0.1% uh, minus the 75% gay. I don't know if that's a cult. I don't know if that's a, if that's a genetics. Well, genetics. I don't know if that's a, a, a nationality thing, but that's no, I don't think so. <laughs> right. Well, Frank, thanks so much for hanging with me, man. And, yeah. Let me know. Let me know one one more time. Let me know if there's anything I can do to help you out. If there's any any connections you'd like to make. I love I love I love resources. I love connections. I love things that just like make yeah. like, puzzle pieces fit together. And I bet you, if we thought about it hard enough, if we talked about it long enough, we'd probably find like common friends that we have. So <laughs> yeah, the six degrees of separation. Exactly. Um, well, actually, if you come across somebody who goes, man, I'd really love to do a TED Talk, but I have no idea how. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I charge a ton of money for it, but, you know, they've got money. Mm -hmm. uh, a friend of mine goes, let me get this straight. You charge that much money to get a gig that doesn't pay anything? Oh, mm -hmm. yeah. It's a great country. <laughs> <laughs> yes. If you ever, ever run across anybody who has a TEDx on their bucket list, that is a good lead for me. All right. Well, uh, it's... It's not not on my bucket list. <laughs> so, so maybe 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 uh, potentially we can we can work on some sort of discount. The yes, absolutely. And I think a, a TEDx about wrestling somehow or other mm -hmm. would be fabulous because I bet there are very few. Very few. Well, 
This has been a pleasure, dude. I, I hope we could do it again. I hope, you know, eventually, eventually, maybe in person. That would be neat. Oh, my God. Uh, where are you again? I'm in Philadelphia. Okay. Well, I, we may be able to. I've got uh, one of my best friends is uh, lives outside of Philadelphia. Well, I'm I'm in the I'm in in the suburbs, Bucks County. Yeah, he's he's in the burbs. I think it's as close to New Jersey as you can get without being in New Jersey, somewhere along. Same. Same. I'm, I'm like 15 minutes from Trenton. Yeah. Yes. So chances are, and and I've got a good friend in Rahway, another cool. comic. Cool. So, cool. Uh, yeah. So I'm, I imagine at some point in time I will be back in the tri-state area. Well, let's hang, dude. We we'll do some some joke writing sessions. I love doing that. Well, and eventually he's going to be booking some um, one and two nighters. So oh. when time comes, when he does, uh, when people start getting back together, you know, in large groups regularly, um, he's ramping up the business now. He's just waiting for the COVID to pass. So, well, well I'm a, I'm an excellent host. Just uh, just to put that out there, if he needs a an MC. I'm a, I'm, I actually, I'm a good comic. I'm a fabulous MC as well. <laughs> that's that, that's another another commonality that you and I have. Yeah, it's a whole different skill set. People don't understand. You know, mm -hmm. it's uh, you're not there to kill. You're there to set everybody else up. But mm -hmm. that's that's it, it's it's the humility of it. The, yeah. it's, the, it's the like giving them the rub, get, putting them over because the people that are around you only look. Only look as good. What's the, what's the way I'm trying to say this? How am I trying to articulate this? You, if you don't make those people look good, you don't really look as good, right? Like no. if you if you if you're if you're on a show where a bunch of bums are on that show, you're just one of the bums. If yep. you if you step out of the clown car, you're one of the clowns. So so elevate elevate everybody around you. Yeah, I tell the MCs when they work with me, I go, look, here's the deal. You're not here to kill. Mm -hmm. If I'm doing, for whatever reason, a club, I said, your job is to make sure that um, you kill time while they get seated, get their first round of drinks and make sure they're all facing forward and paying attention. That's mm -hmm. your job. Yeah. You get, give them the old, hey, this is what it's going to be like. Get on and board. That, that way, the feature act is set up well and the headliner is set up well, you know. Well, I'm going to let you go. I hope... You have a fun time at the gym. Don't fall asleep. Yeah, I'm going to go take a nap first. I definitely need a nap. All right, man. Well, this has been a pleasure, man. Be, be fun. Have safe. Keep evolving. And send me a link when you get it posted, and I'll um, share it on my social media. Totally, dude. All right. All right. Well, hang on one second.